Welcome to the second season of Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with NYU alumni who served in the role of RA and listening to their journey of life after graduating from New York University. My name is Jake Barber, and I'm tonight's co-host, a senior from Holliston, Massachusetts, studying global public health and chemistry and double majoring in Spanish and an RA in Lipton Hall. And I'm Tom Millett, the other co-host, and serve as a Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Jake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, lots of things you're studying. Yes, for sure. I definitely tried to keep all options open, all doors open when coming into NYU. Was not quite sure where I wanted to go after graduation, and I'm still kind of along that same path, even as a senior. So, so what do you, well, don't be stressed. <laughs> These questions aren't made to stress you out more, okay? <laughs> so what are you doing and what advice would you give to future seniors about what they should be doing to help give clarity and focus as you study so many things? And I will tell you, I think it's going to serve you better to have studied all of these various things. Yeah, for sure. And this is a question that I actually talk a lot with my residents about. But I often bring up with them the fact that if you don't really know what you want to do, keeping doors open and closing them one by one and using every experience kind of as a a realization and and how to pivot and move forward with your life is something that can be super, super helpful. So personally, I've done some work with chemistry and I've closed that door a little bit more than than the public health side of things. And it's it's definitely helped me to kind of pivot and understand where I want to go uh, after graduation. That's great. Uh, living in Lipton, good experience for you. It's absolutely amazing. My building leadership team is just absolutely fantastic. My yeah. staff is incredible. I think having a small staff of 16 people is something that's just inc- incredible and, and super, super specific to Lipton because uh, it's just a small, tight, close community and I couldn't be more thankful for that. You know, it's interesting you say small because I think some folks would say 16 <laughs> is actually pretty yeah. large, but I think what you have created there feels yes, small, definitely. even though it's, I think, a larger number. Right? Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a, a larger number compared to maybe the, the smaller, smaller halls that we have. But I also lived in Third North as a freshman and yeah, and then small at Gramercy. So it compared to me, comparatively, Lipton is, is a small, small world. <laughs> so we're talking about Lipton, but tonight we have a guest who actually lived in a building that you live in, mm-hmm. but it wasn't called Lipton. No, it was not. Who's our guest today? Okay, today our guest is John Carrion, who served as an RA at Hayden Hall for CDE, John Kozlowskis and Michael Kirk from 2004 to 2005, and then Chris Stipik during the 2005 to 2006 academic years. Welcome, John, and thank you for joining us on tonight's show. It's a real pleasure having you on, and how are you, and where are you like living now and, and, and doing your, your life now? Uh, I'm really well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm currently living in London in the United Kingdom. Wow. So, yeah. And, and I'm fortunate enough because I get to see John from time to time because of his employment here. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's talk <laughs> a little bit about your time at Washington Square. Sure. What did you study while you're here? So my uh, my undergraduate degree is in Metropolitan Studies in CIS, and uh, I have a minor in Pre-Business Studies, and then I moved on to get my master's degree also from NYU, and that's from the Wagner School, so a uh, master's of, in public administration. Perfect. That's so exciting. And while you were at NYU, were you involved in any extracurricular activities? I was. I was. Um, obviously, aside from being an RA, I was also an orientation leader in CIS. 
my first year working uh, directly as, as an orientation leader, and then this my second year as an assistant coordinator, so getting to oversee some of the larger groups of orientation, which was an amazing experience. I also was an MLK scholar, something I'm really proud of, which allowed me to go to NYU altogether. Um, and then being an RA, I was uh, even given the President's Service Award for my time being an RA in 2005. That's right. So talk a little bit about why the RA position. You were involved, MLK scholars, you were doing service, you were doing traveling around the world. That's right. What made you want to do this particular role? You know, for me, I, I think it really came down to my own experience as a first-year student. I had a, I'd say, a relatively rocky transition uh, to NYU coming from Chicago and just, you know, being 18, not knowing anyone what that might be like. Um, and I really wanted to help first-year students have a better experience than, than I did. And so when I saw the RA position was available, I said, that I think that's something I'd really like to do, um, help first-year students. And I was lucky enough to be placed in Hayden Al Lipton. And uh, honestly, it was some of the best years of my life still to this day. That's wow. great to hear. That's so exciting. Um, and I'm curious to know, too, that um, I know a lot of, a lot of undergraduates have kind of the, the difficult uphill battle of working both as a student and on their staff if they're an RA. Um, what was it like for you to work on a staff at NYU? Simply stated, it was it was amazing from start to finish. You know, it was, it was hard, right? I, I spent a lot of time with my residents, perhaps sometimes maybe more than I studied, but I cared a lot about their success, which I then would explain my, my career choices later on. But my building leadership team, we didn't use that term then, but they were incredibly supportive and helpful and they made it really worthwhile in every single thing that we did. At the same time, I also worked actually at the front desk at Hayden that was helping just to support my own studies. So it, I, w I had a busy schedule. But ultimately, it was such a supportive framework from the friends that I made, both from the other RAs and student leaders and also with, with my residents. You talk about transition to NYU. I'd be curious as to your reflection now on do you feel like you missed the college experience of a place at it like NYU, mm. which is not traditional mm. in any ways? And if not, what did you gain that others from your high school and other friends didn't get? Sure. For me personally, I don't think I missed anything that I would have been seeking. Not saying that those experiences aren't valuable for people who seek them, but for me personally, that's not what I wanted. I wanted specifically to come to New York City from the very first time I saw it, I knew that this was a place I wanted to be. It's actually funny, I was 16 years old when I first came here and I was on a school trip and I have a picture randomly in Washington Square Park and I took pictures of NYU, so I have a picture of NYU flags when I was a junior into senior year in high school. Little did I know, of course, but like I said, I, I don't think I missed anything. I, I think that a place like NYU attracts students who want to have a different experience I think what we gain here, and certainly what I gained here, is the ability to be adaptable in a city that is constantly changing, right? NYU certainly changed in the four years, five years that I was here as, as, as an undergraduate and graduate student. It was a completely different place from start to finish, you know, having a, a new president that came in at that time, even though the opening of Kimmel happened during my freshman year, things like that. The reality show was created during my time at NYU. And, and for me, I think that what I really, in addition to adaptability, was gained a sense of globalization and really how that impacts individuals, right? You can see NYU becoming 
more of a, a global campus also while I was here, and then the city reflecting that, this and NYU reflecting the city. And so for me, it was a mix of all those things, adaptability, um, ability to see the world through different lenses, and the opportunity to actually go to these different places, because as a student, I went to several different places um, with the MLK scholars, so uh, quite a lot that I learned, really. Excellent. Yeah, that's a really great way to describe this microcosm of this this strange university in a strange city that just is so incredible and exciting. And I'm actually really curious, what would you say is the best aspect of um, attending NYU? What was it for you? My answer will sort of be funny, I think. For me, it was the community, which I know is a funny answer coming from NYU alum. But my community came certainly from my fellow RAs, with whom I'm still in touch, and my residents. And I've been to some of their weddings um, at this stage. It's It's been incredible. And I think I, I still take that with me to this day. You know, these friendships that I've taken across the years. I was even fortunate enough to be one of my fellow RAs asked me to conduct her wedding, which was just one of the greatest honors of my life. But I think I, I certainly took that away with me. It's important. Uh, it is certainly something that we want role modeled, the community, by RAs. Let's transition a little bit about after sure. you leave NYU. Where where did you see yourself going, and where did you end up going first? Stop. Sure, those those answers are very different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I immediately left NYU after after undergrad, I went to work for St. John's University, based in Queens, New York, and I had assumed that I would really stay in higher ed. You using my master's degree from Wagner that that I was still working on at the time, and. I had assumed that I would pretty much always live in uh, New York City. That was where I had you know, grown up from 18 to, I guess, 23 at that point. I figured I'd be here forever. But then, while working at St. John's, my second year there, I was given the opportunity to lead their brand new Paris campus. And sort of overnight, my life changed. I said, would you like to move to Paris <laughs> in three months? And at 23, I said, why not? You don't get those opportunities you know, very often. They're going to take care of your visa, take care of your housing obviously get paid to live there. And I figured, okay, I'll do that for two or three years and then come back to New York City, which ultimately didn't happen either. <laughs> um, I then, after that, I moved to London in 2010. Outstanding. Yeah, that's so exciting and, and definitely kind of echoes the kind of place that I can feel mm. that I'm in right now mm. of being like, where am I going to end mm. up? And is this path going to work yeah. out? So that, I think, is a very relatable, even if it is a singular yeah. story, it's a very relatable thing for alum and seniors alike. And know? I think what you can really learn from being in an, an RA, certainly, is, as I said, the adaptability, right? Because mm. suddenly I was in, you know, I was living my whole life in Manhattan, then moving to Queens, which is pretty different. Um, you know, uh, sometimes I think uh, we may not realize that, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a really different you know, environment. And then to Paris, obviously completely different. And then the UK, you know, from France to the UK, it's, it's, I was confident in my ability because of the time that I had spent at NYU n- learning and traveling and understanding different cultures that, you know, it would be hard and there would be a learning curve, but I would knew that I would be able to do it. That was never a concern. I, I knew I would be able to do it based on my, my time here. And, and you knew French I did, yes. Um, I took it in high school. I was an IB student. Not something I say very often that I think about it, but I was an IB student and I was able to place out of NYU French, so I didn't have to take a language while I was here. That's very impressive. Um, And I'm curious, you touched upon kind of that transition of coming into a new country and and moving away from the U.S. for a little bit, kind of under the guise of coming back. But what was that transition like? And was there some sort of culture shock of going abroad Mm -hmm. and, and getting a job to work full time in another country? That's a great question. First couple of months, I would say, actually, was it was quite difficult because while I did know French, you know, it, it was about building confidence to speak it, and that was 
harder than I expected it to be. You know, I could generally follow what was happening, but learning to be able to respond as, as a more fluent speaker took a little bit more time than I anticipated. I, I was also very lonely, to be quite honest, in those first couple of months, just because I didn't have any friends. Everything I knew was back in, in the United States, you know, in New York or Chicago, where I'm originally from. And that, that was hard. That was really hard. But uh, through perseverance, I was able to finally make some friends and really enjoy my time there. Plus, I also learned how to travel throughout Europe, which also just, that changed my life, just learning how easy that is and how different people can be, but more importantly, how similar they are. And that that has changed my life and my whole perspective on the world, you know, just understanding, thinking more critically about why do we have borders and these institutions and are they really necessary and thinking about that, which I find really fascinating. When you transition, you can literally walk from France into Germany, right? And you speak one language on this side of the street and a different language on this side of the street. And that's just incredible. But yet they have a shared culture when you, when you look at those, those two different peoples together in a shared history. And that, I think that's really um, incredible. But the transition into working life itself is, is uh, probably a little different because when I, um, when I first worked in Paris, it was an American university in France. However, I had to work with some French colleagues partner with a kind of an external organization to, to make our work happen. And that's where the real learning occurred. I was probably more used to working in a, a far more New York transactional style. So you kind of move quickly and you uh, can be slightly more decisive and direct, which in France was seen as very rude and callous. And that just didn't work. And I had to learn that, unfortunately, the hard way. So, for, for example, it was much more about relationship building. I would go into meetings and we would, let's say that it was an, the meeting was an hour long, you might spend the first 40 minutes or so talking about your families, about kind of politics, global events, things like this. And that was so you could build trust with the person, the people, person or people with whom you're having that meeting. And then you would actually get down to business for the last 20 minutes. And you just had to build that into your schedule, knowing that that was the only way you could get that done. And that was an incredible lesson I, I learned, really. And that certainly that's helped me in my current role considerably help me now and just generally with people right because it, it, that sort of makes sense if people trust you they're going to be more willing to work with you and, and, and help you when you need them so you're you're in Paris that's right and you're lonely mm-hmm. what, what do you do to kind of break through that how, yeah. how do you start to find you're building confidence through mm-hmm. your language acquisition right but how do you push yourself to not just stay indoors, staring at the beautiful, you know, view of, of Paris. This is a great question. It's quite hard because you really have to push yourself out of your comfort zone, and you know, it's it's you you actually have to find groups. So I, I found sort of a language group where I would could improve my French. So people who were also not native French speakers. So I was meeting people who were not also not from France, but were learning French at the same time, and that was one way. Eventually, started meeting people when I would just sort of go out to a cafe. You sort of try to strike up a conversation with someone. Every once in a while, there would be these sort of anglophone events as well. So, for a, a great example, is I was there uh, beginning in two thousand eight in September, and then in November was the election, and there was a, an anglophone event specifically for Americans of people in support of Barack Obama's election, and so I was able to meet people there and talk to them and. It was through, through those types of events that you could meet more and more people and really get a sense of, uh, of different lives and perspectives throughout Paris. And that was sort of how you would grow your, your network. 
And I'm curious to know, too, did you study away during your time at NYU? And if you didn't, do you think that that would have been something that you could have used as a skill to get more comfortable with that transition going to a new country? Great question. Uh, my answer is sort of. And <laughs> the reason is because I, as I said, I was an MLK scholar, and we went on three different trips, uh, usually in January. One was in, during spring break. Um, I went to Brazil, to Puerto Rico, and to the U.S. Virgin Islands during my time here to do some research and service scholarship work. Looking back, I absolutely wish that I had studied studied away. I think that is such a valuable experience to really push yourself out of your comfort zone. And, and you know, I think whether it had been in France or, or any other place, I, I think it in some ways it doesn't really matter. Just to see how different how people live differently, how buildings are built differently, understand somebody else's history. I think it also helps you understand your own because I think Certainly, the longer I've been away, the more I've been able to understand, let's just say, European history by, by context of where I live, but also American history and how they interrelate and why that impacts things happening in South America or Asia, for example. And I think every student, if possible, should absolutely study away um, in, some, in, in some way. Um, I know for some people might consider, certainly I did New York City as their study away, but one of the most important lessons I certainly learned as a student and even more uh, after NYU is that New York City, while it one of the most amazing places on the earth is not the only place on the earth. And there's so much you can learn outside of New York City as well. Absolutely true. And I think that's why NYU has really looked at these cosmopolitan locations mm -hmm. as part of the extended education for our students. Absolutely. You left higher ed after you're in, in Paris for a while. I did. Tell us about that transition choice decision to say, I'm done with this. Mm -hmm. I want to explore this. Yeah. And how did you end up choosing this. As I said, my master's degree is in uh, public and nonprofit management from NYU Wagner, and I thought it would be a good time to sort of lean on that. So moving to London, I, to be honest, it, it happened a little bit by accident. You know, certainly getting there, I sort of needed some sort of job, so I started uh, at, a, at a temping agency, and then was offered a full-time position there at, at the Royal College of Psychiatrists, and I was a project manager overseeing their clinical examination which took place both in the UK twice a year and once a year in Hong Kong. Uh, so I got, got to travel to Hong Kong to first to set it up and then a second time to, to actually administer uh, the examination. A after that, I worked for a charity called Mary Curie Cancer Care. Um, it's, the name has since changed, but it's a palliative care nursing charity, and I was a project manager leading what they called the future nursing service, so modernizing this system, which had been in place for about 40 to 50 years and really sort of bringing it up into technology, more common uh, work practice, and making it fit for purpose, right? I think it had been had grown organically and no one had taken a look at it in probably a solid 30 years. And so my role was to modernize it and bring that up to speed. And so this whole idea of working in the nonprofit sector was something that really interested you, and you felt like mm. you had some of the skills transferable from higher ed? Absolutely, 100%. One really formative moment as an RA, I remember my CDE, John Kozlowskis, we were talking about what I might do after graduation, and he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, I think you need to do something with people. And when he said that to me, it, it seemed fairly obvious, yet really an important moment, you know. Uh, and so I, I really took that on board, and that's, you know, why I applied to, to grad school and was lucky enough to get in. But the skills were absolutely transferable. So if you think about, you know, each program itself is a, is a mini project, right? And then if you think of you, what you're doing over the course of the whole year, it, particularly in a first year building, you're 
talking about building community, it's thinking about how students transition, you're thinking about just the, the empathy that you'll you'll need to work with people and, and, and where they're coming from. And I think I could use that certainly for, you know, if they're trainee doctors getting their, their clinical examination, you know, a lot of that is certainly the administration of that. But how are you working with someone who is paying hundreds and hundreds of pounds to take an examination and the stress that might be involved in that and this is you know, critical to their career and how you might deal with them on, on an interpersonal level and then and, and how you form policy to make that that examination fair and equitable right for for everyone involved um, then you, you I took that as well to, to, the, to the nursing service and really thinking okay these are people we have nurses going into homes of people who are dying that's their job how do you make that a safe and comfortable environment for those people who are dying, but also how do you make that a, you know a, a safe and comfortable for those nurses who are going into that? Their you know their their daily work is is to help people die with dignity, and yeah, that that's hard on a day to day basis, right? You don't see that as much in the office, uh, you know, when you're in the, in the main office, but you have to keep that perspective in mind. And I think those are skills certainly I learned as an RA, just keeping that empathy and and understanding different people with different needs at different times. So. Uh, you're, you've been in the UK for a while, mm-hmm. and you have successfully received your citizenship. I have, I have, yeah. Sounds like a daunting process. It was. Um, it's daunting and expensive, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, it's uh, well, it, it's a bit of a funny story, really. So I moved to the UK in 2010 under a visa category that really no longer exists, and this. It's called the Tier One sort of general migrant visa, and based because I based on my age at the time, my master's degree, you know, my, my my salary, this sort of thing, and because I'm a native English speaker, um, although the British people would say I, I don't speak English, I speak American. Um, they <laughs> because of that, I was able to get the visa, renew it after three years to a total of five years, and then you have something called indefinite leave to remain, which is essentially permanent residency. After being on that for a year, then you can apply for citizenship. And then, um, yeah, so I had to take uh, an oath to the queen. Um, I had to, you know, it was, it was a whole thing. I got, I've now got two passports, so I always travel with two passports, one American and one British passport. And the, the funny thing is, actually, maybe not so funny really, is uh, one of the reasons I did get citizenship was so I could stay in the UK, certainly as long as I wanted to, but also because I knew it would give me an opportunity to live and work throughout Europe for my whole life. Obviously, that's currently in doubt, but yes. but, but uh, that uh, that was an initial reason. But it's it's honestly, it's been incredible just to be able to participate in in as a British citizen. So, for example, I'm able to vote in elections, and I'm able to run for office. For example, I mean, I, I, I probably won't be, but uh, I guess you never know. But I'm, I'm able to fully participate as a citizen, which is a really it meant more to me in, in that aspect than I I. I th- I realized it would to just be able to participate in my own community, you know, just as much as I would do as as an American citizen. That's so exciting. And then so after now you get your citizenship, you're working in London, you then come back to work for NYU, Mm. but abroad. So what do you do now? That's right. So, yes, so I've been uh, working at NYU since 2014, and I currently oversee the housing administration for uh, NYU's study away sites. Not not New York, not Shanghai, not Abu Dhabi, but the the other uh, eleven sites and and the LA program. As part of that role as well, I during our intercession and summer uh, periods, I uh, work with external partners to bring groups into the NYU housing globally um, as a means of generating re- revenue for the university and contributing to NYU's affordability campaign. And you've done a wonderful job. Thank you. Absolutely phenomenal job in in brokering the deals as well. Tell me a little bit about. Um, 
what you've done, you, you mentioned a minute ago about community. Mm-hmm. I know you've been very active in community. You're right. And taken leadership roles in some right. organizations. Maybe you'd take just a minute to talk about the importance of immersing yourself in a community uh, in London in this particular mm. case. Absolutely. So when I transitioned to the UK, I also didn't have any friends. So starting over was... <laughs> it's a theme. <laughs> it's a theme. I have friends now, I promise all listeners. Okay. I do have friends now. <laughs> but, you know, when you go to a new place, it, you, you may not know anyone. And I certainly did not. And so uh, as a means to, to combat that, I joined the London Gay Men's Chorus and uh, in 2011. And I'm still an active member now. I was lucky enough in 2013 to be el- elected the youngest chairman of the chorus and this there's a theme as my mother says so you, basically you join a, an organization then you, you end up leading it and I said yeah that, that's sort of my yeah. life um, but but I, to be honest it is that's another incredibly informative experience for me being the, the chairman of this organization and that really involved being the chief executive of, of the whole the whole group you know there was 200 singers and I had to oversee all of it and that was inc- incredible we so this would be overseeing our our, our rehearsals our our two main concerts a year, and to me, most significantly, was our social justice platform. Earlier in my time in the chorus, I started what we call the Youth Education and Outreach Program, which is a program where we go into schools to combat homophobia in schools. So essentially, the chorus goes in, does a workshop with the students, and you know, just breaking down the stigma of what the London Gay Men's Chorus could be. And then in 2013, right after I had become chairman, we were actually campaigning for equal marriage outside the Houses of Parliament. And a funny story, I'll never forget it, but again, I had just become the chairman and someone had set up a microphone and said, well, you're the chairman now, so I guess you need to say something. Um, I hadn't prepared anything, didn't know this was happening, and I just had to wing it. Um, You can still find it on YouTube, oddly enough. But but it was an incredible opportunity for me to really speak about something you know, about which I was passionate and, and, and certainly impacted me, right? And, and even more so than myself, it impacted the larger uh, LGBTQ plus community. And I'm, I'm so proud of, of that moment. You know, later on in, in my time as chairman, one, some, I'm really proud of, I was able to bring the chorus to Dublin, to Prague, and then I brought the chorus to New York City. And our performance uh, here, we brought to perform at uh, the British Consulate, which, you know, we tried to have that home connection back to the UK, but then we actually had a performance at NYU Skirball, um, and as the chairman I needed to make a speech, and it was a fairly surreal moment speaking on, at NYU Skirball with the London Gay Men's Chorus behind me, the New York City Gay Men's Chorus also in attendance, and speaking to my, my friends and my peers uh, who had come to see this performance in particular. Um, and even beyond that, I was then able to take the chorus back to my hometown to Chicago. And we did a performance at the school from which I graduated eighth grade. Um, and yeah, that I sometimes even get emotional thinking about that moment, singing to those students, you know, students as you know, first graders all the way through the eighth graders. And I, I remember the, the, the message I was trying to give those students was, uh, you know, we just, we're here just to give you the message. We just want you to be yourselves. Whoever that is, just be you and be, be the best you. And when we said that to the eighth graders, uh, they started applauding and cheering. And I immediately got a lump in my throat. <laughs> and, and even now I think about it so fondly, but it's it, one of the most important moments of my whole life. And I think you know, that, that experience for me being the chairman, was able to, I was able to meet the prime minister. I was invited to 10 Downing Street and be part of that. That was incredible, uh, meeting David Cameron, able to thank him for his, his work on, on equal marriage. And then I was actually also invited by the chancellor of St. Paul's Cathedral to bring the chorus to sing on the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral, this really historic very London 
place that we have pictures of the, of the chorus singing in front of that. So we were able to do some amazing things. I'm so proud of my contribution to the chorus and, and certainly to my, my contribution uh, to the LGBTQ uh, plus community and equality rights and certainly standing on the shoulders of those who have come before me. Oh, that's incredible. Thank you so much. Sure. Now, I'm just curious, too. So after having all of these different roles in all of these different countries, what advice would you have for an undergraduate who wants to work abroad? What would you say to them? Great question. I think it's a couple of things. I would certainly recommend to everyone to study away. That, I think, is your your, your very first intro into, into certainly uh, life outside of your home country. I think that's really, really important. I would also say a great way to do it is to get a degree somewhere else, right? So you could get a master's degree or PhD or, or, or whatever. Let's just say it's in the UK or France, you could do that. You know, I have certainly friends, I have one friend who has a doctorate from France, uh, another one getting his doctorate in France, and they're, they're both Americans. Uh, some who are getting doctorates in the UK, this sort of thing. I, w- I would definitely recommend that because often they can extend your visa and they really want to bring intelligent people from around the world to often work in, you know, after, after graduation. It's, you know, if we've educated you, we want to keep you here because they, that, that's really valuable to our workforce. And if all else fails, you can always marry someone from a different country. Because that will. That is true. Uh, it's time for a shout out. Uh, do you stay in? Well, you already mentioned it. Mm. Who are the people you stay in contact? You want to shout yeah. out for this podcast? Good. Yeah, I'm, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget anybody. I knew I'd get in trouble. So, sorry, this might be a little longer than expected. So, I stay in touch with lots of alums. So, Joanna Champion, I'll mention first because she asked me to conduct her wedding. It's still, still one of the greatest honors of my whole life. Friends Jody Dublin, Lilybeth Chicale, Brian Paroli, Michael Eisenstein, Alex Valentine, Becky Rose, Denisha Dixon, John Fredrickson, uh, Eric Munson, Doug Marshall, Jason V, Kamari Wallace, and Andy Cow. I think that's plenty. And it just shows how connected you are and the importance mm. of connection. Yeah, so sure. So we appreciate that. It is now time for Speed Round. Speed Jake, up. you ready? All right. So what is your all-time favorite book? My all-time favorite book is a funny one, but it's actually Dracula. And I have loved this book since I was I was in eighth grade. I don't know why. Recently, I was able to take a trip to... I know this is not speed round. Um, <laughs> sorry. We have to reteach yeah, him speed round. It's all good. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But you get an explanation anyway. But I was actually able to go to Romania recently and visit Dracula's castle. So I got finally brought it into full circle. Anyway. Good, good reason. What do you miss most about living in a residence hall? Having my friends immediately accessible. Awesome. And who was your favorite NYU professor? My favorite NYU professor was Mosette Broderick. Favorite NYU training program? Behind closed doors, undoubtedly. Wow, definitely. And then finally, what is the best program that you did as an RA? This, I would have to say, is Floor Wars. I could explain it. It's uh, basically it was essentially what it sounds like. It's you know floor against floor in a, in a series of um, events throughout the month of October, culminating in the, in the um, decoration of the building for Halloween. So it was by far my favorite. It was brought the community together like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, one last one. Yeah. Where do you call home? Gosh, that is a hard <laughs> question. I think, actually, I probably call New York City home, which is really interesting. Uh, yeah. Awesome. John, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. As always, thank you to our listeners who stay connected with the RA alums who are living the dream school alumni version of life. (laughs) John, you are a special person. You've really uh, imprinted uh, your value set on your people who are around you and certainly those who live with you and work with you. And so thank you for all that you've done and continue to contribute as an alum Mm -hmm. back to NYU, doing a great Mm -hmm. alumni program abroad for alums. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm 
currently the president of the NYU Alumni Club in London, and most excitingly, we're going to be hosting the first, the inaugural NYU Alumni Conference in Europe, which will have nearly 200 alumni uh, and guests coming. Uh, we're just so excited about it. Um, it's really just blown up into this incredible thing. So we're really, really excited about that coming up soon. Great. Thank you so much. And also special thanks to my engineer, Juliana Fonseco Alesso, the executive director, Duncan Lemieux, and our executive producer, Shahara Ranasang. And to the current professional staff and the alums like John Kay, Chris Stippick, and Michael Kirk, who assisted these great alums in skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on the new NYU RA alumni website. Hint, hint, we need some content, so send it in to us at where-ra-now.webflow.io, which lists RA favorite books, pics of all favorite time memories of RAs, send in yours, alumni accomplishments, and ways to be mentored. Until next time, remember that community begins with a smile and with a see you later. See you later, all.